regenerative agriculture has become very popular, not only for people employed in everyday agriculture, but downstream as well by those selling products primarily created by farming. But what exactly is it? We spoke with well-known author and advocate Charlie Massey way back in episode 85, but over the next 20 minutes, we'll be looking at it from another viewpoint. Welcome to The Yarn. It's a podcast for the Australian wool industry. I'm Marius Cumming. So I asked the artificial intelligence platform, ChatGPT, for its definition of regenerative agriculture. An approach to farming and land management that aims to restore and enhance the health, resilience and productivity of agricultural ecosystems. It goes beyond sustainable practices by actively working to regenerate soil health, biodiversity, water systems and overall ecosystem function. Key principles of regenerative agriculture often include soil health, biodiversity, water management, carbon sequestration and the integration of livestock through well-managed grazing systems that mimic natural grazing patterns. This can involve rotational grazing, mixed species grazing and careful management of mob size and movement. Alright, so it seems relatively straightforward. So why does the term regenerative agriculture create division amongst farmers and others involved in farming? Let's hear from someone who has not only been farming himself for many decades, but consulting and lecturing present and future farmers on land use, conservation and soil health. Cam Nicholson of Nikon Rural Services. In a way, he believes he's partially responsible for the term. We'll hear about that too. But first, what is Cam Nicholson's definition of regenerative agriculture? Uh, well, what it means to me is probably just an observation of what a lot of other people see regen ag. So some people see regen as being a type of practice. And I'll give you an example. A fellow up in Queensland I was talking to, and he said, oh, I've gone full regen. And I said, oh, that's interesting. What have you actually done? And he said, oh, I've gone from set stocking to rotational grazing. Okay, and I thought, all right, well, that's interesting. Yes, that'll be a positive for the environment and growing plants and stuff like that. And then other people think that regen is related to, say, an outcome, like better soil health or better biodiversity or whatever it might be. Um, for me, it's really about uh, farming practices that help build the farming system. Okay, and, and that, because agriculture is largely a biological system we're dealing with, it's about recognising that and, and applying certain practices that help build that, um, that system. So are there key principles to regenerative agriculture? Uh, yeah, I, I think they are. there are. And unfortunately, I think some of those, which I would call good conventional farming practices, are now almost seen as not in the regen space. Regen what are those, something what are those examples? Okay, so, so typical ones are things like, if you want to build soil carbon, you need to understand that carbon actually comes from plants, doesn't come from bugs in the soil. So one of our first principles, how can we maximise plant growth or biomass growth in a year? Um, and there's a number of different ways we can do that, but essentially your soil needs to be right, your grazing management needs to be right, and the species you select need to be right. If, if you can put those three bits together in the environment that you're farming in, then you'll maximise what I call biomass production or plant production. That in turn provides more carbon into the system, particularly into the soil, 
which then feeds your soil biology. And it's a big chicken and the egg. So your soil biology is better, the organic matter that the plants have created is turning over and releasing nutrients, and that grows your next crop of plants. And a spin-off effect of that in the long term is better soil structure, better soil stability and things like that. And you're counting fungi in that too, I presume. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. The whole, that whole biological system and our experience from soil testing, we've soil tested every paddock on the farm for the last 30 years and we do it every three years. And so we've got this massive data set of that. We can see over time how our soil condition has improved. We've done both the, the traditional sort of soil testing, but also some biological testing when different biological tests are in favour. And they're all extremely positive by just applying what I consider to be good farming practices. And within that, I presume you're counting rotational grazing and uh, deeper rooting perennial species as opposed to annual pastures and, and shelter belts to reduce wind and evaporation, those sorts of principles. Are they also yeah. seen as uh, both regenerative agriculture principles but actually conventional agriculture principles? Yeah, ab- absolutely. And so we've done all of that. About 10% of the farm now is down to trees where it didn't have a tree on it when we first started buying blocks and, and taking over the place. Um, Fiona and my wife say a, a keen, what I might call a bird biodiversity observer. And we've got records now that when we first started, we had about 40 bird species identified on the place. We're up to about 130, 140 now. Um, our whole ecosystem has changed. Now, that has just been through good farming practices that we knew. We adopted rotational grazing oh, 30 years ago. Um, when it was proven that it changes not only how much the plants grow above the ground that the animals can eat, but also changes the whole root system below the ground. And just by adopting that, which was good for our bottom line because we're growing more um, plants and therefore we could uh, run more animals, we were also inadvertently, if you like, improving the soil system. Now, we improved the soil system and actually put more food into the soil. And guess what? As a response to having more food in the soil, we got a better biodiversity and a better, um, if you like, bug population. And um, and so what we now sort of, um, what do they collectively call soil health, has improved. So, does it matter that the fertilizer that you've used on your place is organic or inorganic? No, no. The, the plants don't care where the nutrient comes from. What plants care about is that they get the nutrient that is most limiting. And so if you want to increase your production, you have to constantly address what is the most limiting, um, in this case, nutrient, or, um, yeah, well, in this case, nutrients it might be. So we many years ago, we used to use chook manure a lot because there were sheds on the Bellarine Peninsula, and I had no problem about using organic fertiliser rather than inorganic fertiliser to get the nutrient I wanted. Um, subsequently, the chook sheds have shut on the peninsula where we are. Chook manure is much harder to come by and much more expensive, so we've gone back to um, more conventional sort of fertiliser, uh, inorganic fertilisers. Our biological indicators show that nothing has changed. In fact, over time, they've been enhanced over that 20 or 30-year period. Okay, it, it's, it's not about the way the product comes in. It's about what's in the product. And, and one of the... The concerns I have with some of the the regen talking about it's got to be organic fertilisers is you're actually putting products on that aren't the most limiting. 
So, you know, in a agricultural system, we've just got to realise one of the principles is that you are selling products, therefore you are exporting nutrients, and most of those products that you are selling are alkaline, which means you ship off alkalinity, you leave acidity behind. So our soils over time will acidify and they will be depleted in nutrients unless we top them up. So unless we top them up with what is being taken out, we're not going to either balance our system up or maintain our system in a, a good healthy state. And if they're deficient, then obviously we've got to put more on to get them up towards that optimum level. And I see a lot of people putting organic products on that do not meet or match what is actually going out the farm gate. Simple calculation on that is you are running down your system. You are mining your system and it's going under the banner of being regenerative when in fact it's far from it. So traditionally, I suppose, particularly in, in Australian soils, the limiting factor is uh, phosphorus, superphosphate to top that up, but in time that acidifies your soil. So therefore the application of lime uh, or calcium through lime is, uh, uh, has been correcting that with time. Is that a rough yeah. estimation yeah. of uh, and, and, around here? And, you know, again, that's good farm practice. Now, for us, it's interesting, because of the soil types that we're on, phosphorus, when we first came on and did soil tests, was the most limiting um, nutrient. But over time, as we increased that, then things like potassium became important for us because in single soup, you don't have any potassium and you lose potassium through your system. Um, and now we probably spend about half of all the money we spend on fertiliser would be in potassium type products. So it evolves through time. Yeah, and it has to change over time. You know, so um, what we need for this two or three year period will be different to something three or six years down the track. And that's why I'm, I'm, I'm just so keen on soil testing as giving us that guide of where are we sitting and being able to modify our system accordingly. So the, the term regenerative, Cam, is, that, is it actually a problem? Um, I think it is when it, um, what do you say, diminishes or um, dissuades people from using what I call a good sound farming practices that we've used in the past. And, and so when we start saying, oh, you, you, know, you can't use fertilisers, uh, inorganic fertilisers, because they're bad, they poison the soil. Um, but the alternative that we've got isn't necessarily the right one to be putting in its place. Why do um, they say it poisons the soil? Is uh, it because it's acidifying the soil? Yeah, yeah. So, so there are, um, what do I say, there are aspects that I see in some of the practices being advocated in the regen space that start off with fact or start off with good science underpinning them, but then take it to a point that is beyond what we actually know really happens. So it's sort of may, put a bit of mayo on top of, of, of what we start with. So yes, fertilisers, typical superphosphate that we've got is acidic. Anybody knows if you get any of it in your eyes, it stings. Why? Because it's treated with sulfuric acid to dissolve or, or help liberate the um, non-soluble phosphorus and turn it into a, phos a soluble phosphorus form that the plants can take up immediately. We know that. But when you actually do the sums of how acidifying is it, given the rates that we put on over a hectare of land, what acidifies our system far more is the nitrogen that's naturally coming from legumes that we've got in the system and from the products we're taking off. 
but they get the label because it is acidic, then it becomes poisonous. And, and, and so the science between where we start and what is then, in a sense, advocated or spoken about at the end are two different things. And I think if that drives people to say, oh, I don't want to use inorganic fertiliser anymore because it's poisonous or it's bad or it's acidifying, then I think we've got a real problem. And that's what I'm concerned about. So regenerative farming has a halo effect around it in, in, the, in the wider community. Um, but it is, I think we can um, agree that it is a divisive term amongst conventional farmers. Um, where do we go to from here? Because as we've just outlined, a lot of the principles within Regenag are actually principles across industrial farming and traditional farming. Yeah, yeah. I, I, look, I'm, I'm disappointed it's gone that way. Um, in 2014, I was nominated for the, or finalist in the Bob Hawke Award for Sustainable Agriculture. And it, in 2014, I was talking about regenerating our farming landscapes. It's what I had in my mind of what that was is very different to what people are now claiming this is the way you <laughs> regenerate a landscape. Even though if you dig behind it, the fundamentals are largely the same. Which are? Uh, things like, as I said, building, um, biomass and, and plant material. Um, other ones of things like creating habitat that um, diversifies your farming system so it's not as monocultural. You know, and so things like tree plantations, water areas, things like that, all help build that, that farming uh, system um, and the biodiversity that comes with that. Not killing things that we don't have to kill. You know, 15, 20 years ago, or probably more than that, 30 years ago, it was very common practice that you put, say, something like a insecticide every time you put the boom spray out because we knew those red-legged earthlights were pests and whatever else. We know now that's not the right practice. And good farmers now don't kill the bugs just for the sake of being able to do it. They look at thresholds and they look at um, uh, what level of damage is actually being caused and they make a call on that. We hardly ever use an insecticide on the place now. Why? Because if you go and have a look, we have natural predators that help control this sort of stuff. Okay? So we don't need to go down the path. So knowing when you need to intervene and when you don't is really important. So can that... That uh, Bob Hawke Award nomination back in 2014 was for your work with Landcare. Of course, farmers have been working with Landcare for decades and Greening Australia and catchment management authorities or local land services. Um, what is the role of those third-party national bodies or state bodies or um, regional bodies given their iconic status, particularly when it comes to Landcare and Greening Australia, for example? Yeah, it's um, another really good question. They, they um, we need a balanced narrative that goes out around this. And I see now that what's attracting a lot of people to the Regen Ag is built more on emotion and less on science. So we use emotive terms um, you know, I talked about the, the, the poisons that we use, but we, we have these catch-all phrases like if you go down the regen path, you're going to help with climate change. We're, we're going to build our soils. Yeah, so, so it's really, I think, about providing a, a balanced view based on good science that we've got. Um, and I see 
now because of the, the pressures, I suppose, to engage people uh, for some of these organisations because that's where their resourcing comes from, that we're moving down the path of what's new um, or what's someone said that's a bit provocative and leaving behind what we've known is good messages that have been there for the last 30 or 40 or 50 years. And it's giving, I think, the wider public and the market and politicians um, a skewed view of where agriculture's at. Um, I don't believe that, and I, I and this is, I suppose, my, my personal observation for the people I work with, I don't have farmers that, who are using conventional farming practices aren't doing that sustainably and aren't doing that in a way that is enhancing their farming system over time. But the message that you would pick up is if those people continue to do those practices, then they're actually degrading the farming system. They're mining their nutrients over the well, long term. Well, they're just doing all the wrong things. You know, you're applying chemicals. You shouldn't be applying chemicals. You shouldn't be using inorganic fertilisers. You shouldn't be doing this. You should be putting cover crops in. We should be... Now, there are bits of good in that, but when it becomes to the, the point where it's that way or the highway, it becomes very divisive. You know, oh, we, we've, we have um, groups come out to our farm on a regular basis because Fiona and I are happy to, to show off the farm and walk around it. And occasionally you'll get someone that just attacks you the whole time for your farming practice. And you look at it and you go, just look at what you're seeing here. If we dig up the soil, those, that soil is full of worms. We don't use insecticides, why? Because you can see all this biodiversity around and you can see the predatory mites and you can see, we, last summer, or summer before, we had a, a very um, wet summer. We got a lot of aphid come through. I was cutting some plots for a trial that I was doing. We were just covered in ladybirds that were eating the aphids. We didn't have to spray, didn't have to do anything. The biological system caught up on that and that was all being created through good farm management. So that's integrated pest management right there. It, it mm. is. And, you know, and I learned that 20 years ago when we did some grain and graze work on mm. integrated pest management. And I realised that we should just stop killing things just for the sake of killing them because if we can set the system up right, we can get there right. But to me, that's good farm management practice. It's, it's not chuck the baby out with the bathwater and have this new system. It's evolution of good farm practice. And good farmers I work with are doing that now. Correct me if I'm wrong here, but... From what you're saying, I'm picking up that part of the solution here and what you're recommending is moderation in debate, science as evidence, and also recognition of prior work. We need to create a, a view where the good things from the past are retained and we build on those. So someone goes out and goes, I, I took a soil test and it was 1% carbon and I retested it two years later and it's 3% carbon, therefore the practice I was doing is increased carbon by 2%. Okay? Now, if you actually investigate that, to increase carbon by 2% takes an enormous amount of organic material going in the ground to get that change. You physically cannot grow that in two years. So when you start to investigate behind the scenes, is that actually possible? That is not possible. So one or both of those soil tests are wrong. Okay? And I've learned that through all the testing I've done, that some of the measurements that we use to draw our conclusions are pretty fraught. And so we jump to those conclusions very quickly. And I see a lot in the regen ag space is, if I do this, this will happen. 
And quite often it's because we had a good season instead of a poor season. And that's the reason why it's happened, not because you sprayed a certain product on the, on the soil. So what is your call to action here? We've identified uh, the problem and, and, and possible solutions around recognition, but um, who, what are the drivers for change here? Because I think in terms of agriculture, we, we, we need uh, a more united front and we need good recognition of what has currently uh, taken place over many decades. And we really need those iconic organisations to, 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 to be the balance and be the conduit because they're the organisations that people will be listening to. Oh, absolutely. So the number one thing, and I see this now in so many magazines and publications that come out and, and uh, talks at conferences, that if you actually do what I call you due diligence on some of those, some of the claims in them are just not possible from a good science point of view. So if you apply a science overlay to those, some of those are just nonsense. Whether we like it or not, regenerative agriculture is a very strong movement, a movement that's listened to, but it is also poorly defined. So how can the term perhaps be a unifying front for farmers and for farmers that do take care of the environment? I mean, how do we, how do we turn this around to make regenerative agriculture a movement that we can all be part of? Yeah, well, I, I think as I mentioned before, it comes back to good farmers have been doing that anyway. And first of all, that recognition of what good farms have been doing, they've actually been regenerating this landscape for the last 20, 30, 40 years. So to think somehow we've found something new that is going to change the landscape, I think is disingenuous to the people that have been working on it for that period of time. And quite often the strongest advocates of the regen ag space, and they'll show pictures of their farm 20 or 30 years ago, um, were farming it poorly. No, it's, and I'm, I'm pretty adamant on that. I see pictures and they're going, this is what our farm looked like 30 years ago. And I'm thinking, mate, you shouldn't have been farming. You shouldn't have been allowed to farm this stuff. Okay? If this is the way you have managed it. And now they're saying they've found regen egg and look at you know, how good it is. Now, that was poor farming practice. And quite often they'll blame the system. They'll blame, you know, this is the way we farmed. No, it's, you weren't competent in being a person that actually understood a complex biological system and how to manage it. But all farmers are on that Cochrane's treadmill of the law of diminishing returns as well. Uh, and I think one of the shining lights of Regen is uh, that uh, to lower, lower your input costs. Uh, and that is, a, uh, that is a very attractive call to arms for farmers that are battling high costs every year. Yeah, yeah. And, and Okay, so, but as I say, if you go back to that principles, well, if you're taking nutrients off, you're, in a sense, mining your system, so how are you replacing them? First question I'd ask everybody. And if someone tells me, oh, I put organic fertiliser on, and then I ask them, well, what's in it? Don't know. Are you matching what you're taking out? Don't know. Then to me, that's not a, um, a balanced system either. Um, we, we need to get to a point where... We actually understand the fundamentals of what it takes to run a good farming system. And, and that, that balance of products in to products out, understanding that the biology and the diversity that we seek on a farm, there are a few things that fundamentally drive that. And that, as I said, is bugs, soil bugs need a food source. You want to increase carbon, you've got to give them a food source. A food source is plants. So I've focused for the last 30 years on how do I make more plants grow better in a year for the rainfall I get? 
and how do I manage that when it's not growing so I don't kill those plants out and have to start again. So containment becomes a very, containment feeding becomes a very important part of our farming system. Uh, selling strategies become a very important part of what I'd call a regen system because we don't degrade our soil by hanging on to stock when we shouldn't have them on. So it's well beyond just focus on the soil and everything will happen. That's not a full farming system. Um, we need to understand all of those different bits. From what you're saying, uh, you may well be a regenerative farmer. What would it take for you to call yourself that? <laughs> um, it, it's Currently, it's the association with the unproven but um, attractive from a, um, a perception point of view that I suppose is driving us, Fiona and I, away from wanting to be called that. We, we are doing good practice. It is regenerated and has regenerated our farm. If you look at our photos and our measurements from 30 years ago to where we are now, totally different landscape, totally different landscape. But I don't want to be associated with regen is about no fertiliser. It's about not using uh, herbicides or insecticides. It's about not grazing this way. It's about having to use cover cropping. If you're not using cover cropping, you're not into regen. All of that, I think, is just nonsense. You know, some bits of that, minimising some of those things, but knowing when to use them and use them uh, carefully and judiciously um, is what good farm management's about. So we don't chuck it all out. We just make sure that we're attuned to it better so we use these good proven principles at the times when we need to use them because they're, they're the most important intervention to do. Well, Cam, there's a lot of food for thought there. Um, I really very much appreciate your expertise and your time today. You're a busy, busy man with many hats. Thank you very much for joining us on The Arm. Uh, pleasure. Cam Nicholson of Nikon Rural Services there with a very thought-provoking discussion-starting episode of The Yarn. For suggestions on topics, feedback, anything really, please email theyarn at wool.com. You can, of course, follow Australian Wool Innovation on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. But for now, from me, Mary is coming. Thanks for having a yarn. <laughs>